0: Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode nine of Middle Brow Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gane.
1: So Derek, um, I was gonna do a bit where I read off the thirteen Juggalo Commandments, <laughs> but but I okay, I, I googled the thirteen Juggalo Commandments before we started because I need I don't have them memorized. Unfortunately, I'm not I'm not that down with the clown. Sure. But do you know what the first result is if you Google thirteen Juggalo or if you just Google Juggalo Commandments?
0: I don't, but I am going to do it for comedy. Juggalo Commandments. Uh, I get a Pinterest hit for the Juggalo Prayer.
1: Huh, that's my third result. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe. What's a, your first result? My first result is a post I made in 2011 about the Juggalo Commandments. <laughs>
0: oh, man. Let's see how far down. On Tumblr?
1: On Tumblr, yeah. It was uh, under my old blog name.
0: Oh, yeah. That's my first that's the fifth hit here i recognize the name
1: so it is pretty high on the seo no matter what oh
0: my god that oh man that's wild
1: should i read these uh let's take let's take turns because there's i think there's some good advice in these 13 juggalo commandments what's number one
0: <laughs> number one thou shalt always holla a whoop whoop to let thy neighbor know you're around just for the record and for Jugglo, it's more like a whoop whoop than it is high pitched. So, <laughs> I, I I am sorry that I've offended okay. the juggalo contingent of our of our uh, of our of our fans.
1: Um, but number two is thou shalt not take the dark carnival's name in vain; else shall have ye head slitteth. <laughs> so I can't like I can't be like oh such and such great Malenko was a bad album or whatever. Can you imagine a juggalo ever saying the great great Malenko was a bad album? That's heresy.
0: I mean, hence why it's number two, right? Yeah. Number three. Number three. Always stay true to thy family. As they shall be true to you. Uh, number four: Thou
1: shalt not base ye life on or looks on mainstream perceptions.
0: Huh. Number five is: Thou shalt always keep ye shit wicked and wild.
1: That shit with a shit advice. is
0: spelled with a Y.
1: Um. Number six is: If called a freak, crazy, psycho, or deranged, etc., thou shalt raise both middle fingers and say thanks. Uh, you, 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 you get my favorite one, just by the way. You
0: can't see me, but right now I'm looking at this with the, like the the like, the like the like the bottoms of my hands, like the bottoms of my palms, pressed against my forehead in disbelief. Uh, seven, thou shalt keep ye hatchet sharp and ready for haters.
1: <laughs> Number eight, if thou be a true juggalo slash juggalette, thou shalt always represent with pride.
0: Sure. Number nine, thou shalt not pass judgment on another, lest it is passed on you first. That's great advice. I mean, know? that's not bad
1: advice. It's good advice from one Juggalo to another. Um, number ten is this is also great advice. Thou shalt always keep a blunt rolled and a beer ready for thy homies.
0: That's just being a good host. That yeah, it's hospitality. Um, number eleven. Remember, if thou art thou art faketh, we shall breaketh thy censored in half. Pretty sure it's supposed to be shit. I don't know why <laughs> that part I mean, of it was censored before and part of it wasn't.
1: Uh who knows. Um, number 12 is we are not against the world the world is against us so remember to keep the middle fingers ready. I love that that one is not written in fake like old text old testament <laughs> speech it's
0: just it just is. And number 13 but what we want to be no be what be what we want to <laughs> be act how we want to act see what we want to see because in I went when you have a bunch of yellow uh, a bunch of W's and n's together in italics and you read, the letters just kind of blur together. I like that the thirteenth one is like an ontological statement. <laughs> um, so
1: this is our our longest digression yet, I think. But oh my now God. everyone knows what the thirteen Jogalo Commandments are. Um but Derek, that's not generally what we do here, is it? Let's talk about Amir
0: Khan. You haven't introduced yourself.
1: Oh yeah, I'm Isabel. Um it was different before, <laughs> and now it's Isabel, so don't be a dick about it.
0: Ah oh, man, now we get to talk about Amir Khan again. That that's
1: exciting. I love Amir Khan.
0: <laughs> All right. So, what do we do on this fucking podcast? Well, we don't usually digress about uh, the finer points of uh, Insane Clown
1: Posse lore. To be fair, I think this is this is the second time we've talked about it in within like nine episodes. So,
0: oh, has it really been twice? I definitely brought them up earlier. <laughs> As uh, I, I hate to digress more, okay, but I kind but I kind of have to know. Is it a Midwest thing?
1: It's absolutely a Midwest thing.
0: Okay. So it's a Midwest thing.
1: Um, I haven't seen a single hatchet man tattoo since I moved to the Pacific Northwest, but when I was in, um, community college in Lake County, Illinois, um, that was half the fucking, like, people who were there. I (laughs) had a short term relationship with a juggalo or a juggalette, I should say, at one point. That was by far the, like, the best aspect about them. I'm, I fi- this, this I want to say this podcast or at least this host of this podcast is pro Juggalo.
0: No, 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 I am I am firmly in the pro Juggalo camp as well. But I, I I mean I'm very much on the it's uh, uh, I, but yeah the reason I sort of ask is like you know it's not really a Canadian thing. There's like, uh, uh, they, there's just, like they don't quit- even have Fago out here. Can you believe that? I mean I can because they don't have it out here either. But I mean
1: that's uh, horseshit. Jugg- Fago is my favorite generic cola, even no- as a not. I'm a non-practicing Juggalo. At the same time, Fago is genuinely a great discount pop if you know where to get it.
0: Because Juggalos is like, it's it's like a quintessentially American thing. It's like musical theater. We don't do it up here. It's not a thing. It is its own form of musical theater, if you think about it. it uh, I, we are already 10 minutes in. God damn it.
1: Um, movies are generally what we talk about, don't, aren't we? Yes. Aren't we? Don't they? What? <laughs> Derek, you just do the thing, please. All right.
0: So this is Middlebrow Madness and not some other podcast that we're uploading as a prank. Um, What we do here is uh, uh, when we first started this podcast- Not to digress one more
1: time, but this is kind
0: of a prank on us doing this whole podcast. You pranked me and then I went along with it like a good improviser does. And now we're 11 minutes deep and we haven't even described what the fucking pod is about.
1: (laughs) you made a three-year yes and.
0: (laughs) Uh, So at the at the dawn of this podcast, uh, Isabel put all of the IMDb top 250 films of all time, plus six, uh, six bonus movies, six ringers, six movies that we thought deserved to be on that list and put them all in a fancy 256 seed single elimination bracket. And we're going to go through each matchup one by one until we crown a champion. Uh, We've already done uh, eight episodes times two matchups each. 16 matchups, and the first round has 128 of them. So we should probably get going. Okay. Uh, there's also some smaller rules uh, that we should keep in mind. Uh, we are limited to 10 minutes per discussion, That uh, 10 minutes per film to discuss it. And we have uh, a number of, we have four vetoes in the first round that we can use because, you know, sometimes it ends up in a tie because it's Isabel doing this. Uh, and we are both at three. We've both used one. I used mine, I think, for... Raging Bull. Raging Bull. And you used yours for Three Idiots. And there's a reason I said yours second. It's because that movie stars one Amir Khan. Sure and he does. Shows up And he shows up here again today. So I'm just going to say the two matchups that we have lined up for today. Go for it. Like Stars on Earth, the 83 seed from 2007, against the 174 seed Tokyo Story, from 1953. And later on in the episode, we will talk about the 46th seed, one of the top 50 films of all time, according to the users of the internet movie database, Whiplash, from 2014, against the 211th seed, Prisoners, from 2013. I don't know if we've addressed recency bias in the 250. Maybe early on we did.
1: I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit when we mentioned, I think in the first episode that Incredibles 2 is on this list, but not Incredibles 1, because when we pulled the list, Incredibles 2 had like just come out. Yeah, this was last August. Yes, that sounds about right. Um, and I think that's the recency combined with the, the peculiarities of, uh, IMDb show up so starkly in the matchup between, or the rankings of, like Stars on Earth and Tokyo Story. Tokyo Story yeah. being, not to give the game away, one of the most acclaimed films of all time. It was, uh, it was number one on the Sight and Sound list recently, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think... Um, was it number one on Sight and Sound? It's all, it, it always ranks super high. But um, I believe the thing that... I think number one was Vertigo. Because it famously kicked the shit out of Citizen Kane for the top seed in 2012. That sounds right. For some reason, I was remembering different, but you can... But, but here's the thing,
1: no. The directors in 2012 voted it the best film of all time. Ah, there you go. Or the critics voted Vertigo the best film.
0: Tokyo Story always places. It's always up there. Whereas, like, Stars
1: on Earth, I'd never heard of before we did this podcast. um, And it places nowhere besides IMDb.
0: Yeah, this is, like, the, the, I will say this, we're only a few episodes into our show, which is going to last until 2025, but... The most interesting thing, I think, about this show is just getting even like the slightest just surface experience with popular Indian. Yeah,
1: I would definitely agree.
0: This is not something I'm normally exposed to. And we've only seen a handful of them. And it's really, really fascinating just to sort of to see what to see what places. So how about a little tale of the tape? Yeah, go for it. The 83 seed of this first, in this first matchup, the 83 seed, Like Stars on Earth, released in 2007, directed by, um, I guess we could say patron saint of the podcast, Amir Khan. He's he's
1: at least my hero now. And he seems genuinely, like, let's, in all seriousness, he seems like a really cool
0: guy. Yeah, he seems like a really solid dude. Uh, star This movie stars uh, Darshil Safari, Amir Khan, and Tuka Chopra, and won the National Film Award for Best Film on Family Welfare in 2000, uh, I didn't write down the year, but it was that year's awards. did National
1: Three Idiots, like, win Best Wholesome Entertainment or something like that? I think the NFAs have a lot
0: of categories. Yeah, it
1: sounds like, I love these categories, like, so descriptive. Like, it's not just the best film, it's the best film on Family Welfare. It's the best film on Wholesome Entertainment. I think that's a great strategy.
0: And a uh, pretty decent hint, uh, 889 million rupees Uh, profit against a 120 million rupee budget against the 174th seed in this tournament and according to some of the people who actually do this for a living, the best goddamn film of all time, Tokyo Story released in 1953, directed by Yasujiro Ozu, starring Chishu Ryu, Chieko Higashiyama, and Setsuko Hara, and winner of the BFI Sutherland Trophy, which apparently was an old, uh, this was the inaugural one, and uh, let's see If I pull up, I should have actually done this beforehand. But turns out, I just suck at what I do. The Sutherland Trophy, if Wikipedia is to be, was an annual award for the quote maker of the most original and imaginative first or second feature film introduced at the National Film Theater during that year. And it won this award in 1950. But uh, the the budget and profit, uh, I couldn't really find any good stats. But let's just say that this movie casts a pretty long fucking shadow over the art form that we choose to discuss. It's it's a little influential. We can say that, I guess. We could say that, I guess. So let's start the clock. Uh, let's talk about let, Let's talk about Like Stars on Earth.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, it's Amir Khan's only directed film, correct? Yep, that is correct. Um, and it is a movie split in half. It's the time before Amir, Amir Khan gets there and the time after he gets there
0: yes and because- i will say
1: the time after he gets there is a far superior film than the time before he gets there
0: yes because getting there it is kind of a slog
1: it really is and for those who don't know the basic plot of the film is that there's uh this kid um his name is uh ishan mm-hmm. and he is not doing very well in school he seems to be acting out a bunch not listening to his parents so eventually he gets sent to a boarding school and while there he seems to fall into like a near suicidal depression. He's nine, by the way.
0: What is it with these fucking movies and suicide? Yeah.
1: Um, and that's until Amir Khan comes in and he's like the good teacher who actually like takes an interest in Ishan and actually like um connects with him and realizes the specific way he needs to learn, and at the end of the movie, um Ishan wins an art contest and uh he turns out great.
0: Yeah, that's the basic
1: gist of it. But the thing that makes this movie is Amir Khan. Like, not to oh, be 100%. Direct, Um Like, Darshil uh, Safari, who plays Ishan, is
0: fine for a he's kid fine. actor. He's but, got the big, big bunny teeth and big eyes. So he's it's, kind of of, hard to ha- it's kind of hard to hate on him. But he's a good, like, he's a good cypher for, like, you know, a kid with, like, learning disability. Although, I do want to bring up the fact that
1: the way they portray learning disabilities are sometimes interesting and inspired sometimes very strange and seem to be implying something different than what's happening you seem to catch on quicker than i did i thought that he had some form he was on the autism spectrum when we first started the film until it's directly said he has dyslexia it was it didn't like click for me exactly what was going on i should have kind of gotten it when we said like the the letters are dancing i think is one thing he says when he's attempting to read at one point um But just like in the way he acts, the way he reacts to certain emotional situations, that's the read I got on it. And then it just kind of changes later in the film. He doesn't seem to have really a consistent character,
0: if that makes sense. See, I thought that too, until I remembered that, um, like, they literally tell you. They don't tell you. But I think the movie is smart enough to use the indelible image of just, like, numbers crashing with each other right as the film begins. To be like... This kid is not good at words or numbers. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And it's a pretty striking scene because it gets loud and
1: chaotic and kind of avant-garde. There's moments in the film that are like that where you see also his, he's an artist, like that's the thing that uh, Ishan likes to do the most is draw and paint. And you see his drawings come to life and you see him in his drawings and you see the interaction and that just kind of fades away as the movie goes on. And I felt that was a disappointment, honestly.
0: Yeah, there's an animated sequence where he's trying to figure out what three times nine is. Yes, that's
1: it's genuinely a really fun sequence.
0: It's really fun. And uh, it's like the the point of the scene is that, well, that's kind of the logic he uses to get there. And I felt like such an asshole for laughing that at like when he like drags because the, the way he uses it or tries to figure out the multiplication, is he tries to, uh, he uses the planets So he uses Earth, the third planet, and tries to ram it into Pluto, the former ninth planet. Earth is destroyed, or rather Pluto is destroyed, leaving only Earth standing. So three times nine is three, right? And I felt like such a dickhole for, like, laughing at that. Because it's funny, but it's indicative of the fact that this kid has, like, dyscalculia.
1: You just like laughing at children. That's what it is. I
0: love laughing at kids (laughs) with, uh... With uh, learning disabilities, this will not be taken out of context. Yes.
1: Um, and this is the second. Like speaking of Amir Khan, we did talk about his work before on Three Idiots, which Three idiots. I uh, forced through with a veto previously. And this is which the, I
0: which I liked, but Isabel
1: adored. <laughs> I adore that movie. It's so wonderful. It's delightful. I'm really excited when we get to wrap around and watch it again. Oh, but man. um. I wasn't as taken with this film, but I do want to say that it's interesting that this is the second Amir Khan film we've seen and both of them have been about the problems of the Indian education system.
0: Yeah, I think Amir Khan has like an axe to grind about how shitty the Indian education system
1: is at all levels. Which, to be fair, it seems like a lot of the thing, problems that he has with it are problems that were introduced during British colonization of India. And, like, that very much, like, British way of teaching children, the European way of, like, teaching children very regimented, very, like, specific and exacting. And not giving time for individual children, not taking creativity and art into any account. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing I think the film does well is express that and also express... I think there's a lot of pitfalls this film could have fallen into because uh, Amir Khan's character, um, Ram, um, he could... He also works at a um a school specifically for children with special needs. Sure. And it could have been a situation of like, well, if we just, uh, uh I was worried that the moral was going to be, oh, if um, if Ishan just gets the right teaching, he'll be perfect and he won't have to worry anymore and everything will be good. And I was like, well, what about these other kids that like also need this kind of help and aren't getting the same help that Ishan is? But uh, in one of my favorite scenes is um. Uh, rom brings up to the head of the school like hey i think all kids should be getting this great boarding school experience i think all of these kids that i work with over here should also be in these classes with these other kids and like they shouldn't have to be shunted off to the side to this yeah, they like, fucking other segregated school. exactly um and i think that that works really well and you can tell like where his that says a lot about his character motivation and what he actually cares about and also something that works very well is a i don't really know how to describe this exactly but just like a a crowd pleasing
0: aspect to it. Well, it's it's definitely big hearted, you know? It's a very warm film and it mostly avoids being like really like treacly. Like it's a very it's a very it's a very emotional played to the rafters, big emotions. And um it only like it like you like you had hinted at before it only really comes alive when Amir Khan shows up like a fucking thundercrack in, 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 in a our clown class.
1: costume.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a clown costume and there's this big musical number and it's, it's bright and it's fun. And I don't know. This movie is kind of a tough nut to crack because it's not bad. Here's a question I have. Why do you think that this is
1: on the IMDb Top 250? american has got a lot of pull. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, like, <laughs> I downloaded a bunch of his movies after seeing these two. Like, I want to see a bunch more movies with him. But, like,
0: why of this of all of his movies? I don't know. Um, like... I think I'm missing a lot of social context to be able to answer that question because I know that American's is a big deal. I don't know how invested the average Indian moviegoer is in, like, sort of, uh, like, like, uh, like star autourism or, um, or like uh, social problems movies or. Uh, I like, mean, based
1: I on the four films we've seen, it seems like social problems movies are big.
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, all of them are kind of social problems movies of the ones, at least, that we've seen so far for this show. Yes, we'll see more, obviously, but... And um, I think that, barring all of those, um, I don't know. Uh, why is this... Mo- I think... like I'm going to choose to believe that it's the considerable charisma and star power of Amerikan, because this is an okay movie. It's like... Yeah, it's uh, fine. It's fine. It's like, uh, like a, a teacher... You know, the the proverbial good teacher helps out a kid who's having a rough time. And, you know, people like maybe my thing is that Amir Khan's character doesn't have like an arc. Yeah,
1: he just kind of he he starts awesome and he ends
0: awesome. And that's pretty much it. He's basically God. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, one character that has an interesting arc is uh, is the child's father who has, I think, probably the best moment of acting in the film. And I think it kind, of tell you, it kind of tells you where the movie's strengths and weaknesses lie, because I think they're uh, they're very well encompassed in this one scene. It's a scene uh, late in the film where um, where Ishan is reading the billboard for the art show by his lonesome, and he's like over to the side, and his dad's coming out of the building. So as uh, he sees his kid, but he's reading the billboard. And he's like, he's like very, dif- with difficulty, but definitely reading correctly and just crocodile tears on this guy and the music swells. And it's a good moment of blocking, like Amir Khan being an actor knows where to place his actors, like he's got chops. But it's also just like sort of, you know, uh kind of a cheap heartstrings pulling. So you kind of win some and lose some.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have... I'd like to say more about that but we we used our 10 minutes. We're 10 minutes into this discussion, so we got to start talking mm. about Tokyo Story.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah, this movie is incredible. Here's- this is the first Ozu I've seen. Have you seen any other of Ozu's films?
0: No, because I suck at cinephilia, but I've seen this is the second time I've seen it and I lowballed it the first time because this movie is sad as shit and um I th- well, what has what can we say really that hasn't already been said about Tokyo Story? The performances, the way that uh, Ozu uses frames on frames on frames. Um, I mean, we're we're like, going
1: to re- be repeating things people have already said. This is it's kind of like trying to find new things to say about Persona. It's been done to death. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Tokyo Story or you haven't seen any of Ozu's films, I was not. I'd seen pictures and I'd seen little clips before. Um, in like the story of film. Um, that Mark Cousins, is that right, Mm -hmm. Um, did, where he specifically cements a lot of time on the fact that Ozu um, set his camera at waist level instead of at eye level. And it creates a whole different sense of the scene and a whole different way of doing blocking and a whole different way of framing things. But I didn't really realize how complex and, like, if you're not, I think if you're not well-versed in film, it might not come across as clearly, but it's so perfect. And he uses these these blocks of space. And each block is built up of other littler blocks. And the blocks are all slightly different dimensions. But the weight of the image somehow always balances out exactly. And it's as an audio medium, I can't really express this fully as, as much as I'd like to. But it is astounding to watch. I was genu- genuinely like in awe of watching how he was framing things. Uh, until about halfway through the film, when I kind of got a little more used to it, um, but even then, like there were certain shots, that were just, oh wow, like who even
0: thinks to shoot a film like that? But here's what happens: you get used to those moves, to the to the way that Ozu frames and sets the camera and such, and then it's the performances that start coming to life. Yeah, because because I, a dipshit not from Japan, uh, just considered, man, this is kind of stilted and not being delivered in a way that my that my white western ass is used to but then the second replay where you're used to the tricks then then you start seeing the nuances of performance and then you fucking see how heartbreaking it is i think then that's
1: you... a great point because i was gonna say the when i first started watching it i was like oh this is almost like brisson performances which is like very drained very like exhausted almost sure whereas like certainly some of these performances are exhausted but they're They're so restrained, like as you go further in the film, you see that they're restrained not by either a lack of ability or an exhaustion of the physical, of the literal actor like Brisson did. They are restrained and exhausted because of social mores and because of cultural ways of speaking, cultural ways of responding to things. And one of my favorite aspects of that is there is a line in the film, it's like the most famous exchange in the film is it's very simple. It kind of sums up the entire film is that one character asks another, she says, isn't life disappointing? And she looks kind of like upset about it. And then it, it turns to the other character and she's smiling and she says, yes, it is. And that moment is so- It's key. It's key to the entire film. I think without that, the film is a lot worse. And it really shows how, because uh, the, the person who says, yes, it is, yes, life is disappointing uh, is Setsukahara who is wow her performance is it's so interior and there's so much that she's doing with little subtle movements little subtle facial expressions that are um, that you can tell are fake little like little ways of speaking and then there's a point later on in the film or like very much towards the end where she breaks down where that facade finally breaks and it's rough
0: (laughs) it's like it's rough to watch if that exchange earlier doesn't happen exactly the way that it happens, if it's not filmed exactly the way it's filmed there, that breakdown at the end could still be devastating, but works so much fucking better in context. Absolutely. So- We haven't even said the story of this film. <laughs> Do we want uh, to a say loose, that really quick? Sure. It's a loose remake of a Leo McCarry film called Make Way for Tomorrow that I caught one time in, I think it was a hotel room in Toronto. <laughs> The best circumstances to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was on TCM. I had nothing to do. I don't have access to TCM normally, so that was fun. And, uh, yeah, so it is uh, two elderly parents who travel from the country to Tokyo to visit their kids. But their kids are busy with their fucking shit. And they kind of ignore their parents. They kind of shunt them off to the side. It's like, ah, God damn it. I mean... I mean, they're my parents, but they're also kind of annoying because they're here. And then Setsuko Hara plays the widow of one of their sons and she treats him with like utmost kindness and respect. That's the core of it. That's basically it.
1: And I think that there's, there's a lot that could go wrong here. I think there's, there's one version of the story where the kids are just assholes. They're still kind of assholes in the film. But you, I think everyone's had that experience of like, oh, my parents are here and like, I
0: love my parents, but I don't want to, like, fucking deal with them right now. Exactly. It's I have like, other stuff to do. It's almost, it's it's more heartbreaking that they're trying to be accommodating and failing rather yeah. than just being just outright cruel. And there's also,
1: like, another thing I love about it is that um, there's a discussion um, with the father where he goes out drinking with a couple of his old drinking buddies. Sure. And one of his drinking buddies, who I think was the police sergeant or the police captain. I think so um is like oh kids these days can you believe them they're all like terrible they're all mean and like evil and like the dad's like well it's just kind of how it is like everyone has always thought that like it's like your parents probably thought the same thing and like so on and so forth and i can't really blame them for being the way they are and i think that that serves a similar purpose as a movie we're going to speak on later um there's a scene towards the end of no country for old men where uh sheriff uh played by tommy lee jones is specifically told this isn't just you. You're being vain, trying to like thinking that all of this stuff is on you and that it hasn't, ha- has, hasn't happened before. And I think that those moments in both of them stop them from being conservative or reactionary and turn them into bigger portraits of just the things that happen in life. Like, you can't really stop it from happening. There's no generation that is going to be not somewhat disappointing to their parents.
0: And conversely, there is not a generation who's not going to be, despite the fact that they may love them, kind of a burden to their kids. Yeah. Oh, and man, this was, a, this was a fucking good idea to talk about this movie. Yeah. I'm fucking thrilled about it. I don't know if you can tell.
1: <laughs> um, and Sasuke Hara, um, as the widow, I think one of the things that it does show well is that one of the reasons she's so willing to put this extra time in and put this extra effort in is because, A, they're not really her parents, and right. B, she's lonely. Like, she doesn't know what to do with her life since, um, her husband died. She doesn't- she feels like her days are kind of wasted and just an incredibly lonely person. And yes,
0: Setsuko Hara in this movie is one of the great bummer performances of all time. Yeah.
1: It's moving and it's wonderful and it's incredible, but I'm not gonna watch this as a pick-me-up at any
0: point. Yeah, this is this isn't something you throw on for funsies. Like, it's 3am and you're a little drunk. Ah, let's watch Tokyo Story. Yeah, um- the film is so exacting
1: in both its performances and the way it's shot, in the sound design, in the editing, that it's hard for me to like. When I know that the di- all like directors pulled by Sound Insight literally thought this was the best film of all time, it makes complete sense. I can't, I struggle to think of a more perfect film than this. There's there's films I like better. In fact, Blade Runner is one of my favorite films of all time, and that's a film that I think has a lot of fucking problems, but I like more than this movie. But I don't think it. Is at all more perfect than Tokyo Story? This is like the most perfect feature length.
0: I think I'm going to kind of agree with you. I'm not going to call it the most perfect film scene, but I will say that I think it is the film that dem- that demonstrates the most control, formal and um, formal or otherwise, from the people making it. This is the director. This is the cast. Uh, the people in post. I think this is an exceptional exceptional document of cinematic control so the yeah. question is
1: um as we have 20 seconds left on the clock but is tokyo stories control better than like stars on Earth's? um let's say errors 100 <laughs> percent. yeah no this
0: is this is an easy one this is this is number one with a bullet i would
1: uh, have tokyo story wins <laughs> maybe consider uh, the only way i would have considered anything else is if we hadn't moved um three idiots forward and I just happened to like Amir Khan quite a bit. So maybe I like pushed for this. But no, like Tokyo Story Ooh. immediately was like. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I mean. Listen, I I
1: was literally like speechless after watching it. I would, didn't even know how to react to it. But it's, it's, it's a tough
0: watch. It's a tough watch. It's not, it's like, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's like homework for the soul. It's weird. <laughs> Home homework for the soul. All um, right. So congratulations, Tokyo Story. You get to, uh, you get to keep uh, gunning for that number one spot, as it were. Now we're going to talk about uh, a weird pair of recent movies that kind of rhyme with each other in ways you might not expect. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Whiplash v. Prisoners. Uh, so the, the like battle of the movies that don't really know what they're trying to say. I think I think Whiplash knows what it's trying to say, but okay, I don't I, think I say,
1: the execution of themes is. Yeah, I was going
0: to say I don't think Damien Chazelle sticks the landing on like sort of showing them formally, but we'll get to that soon. Yes. Enough. Yes. So. This is a relatively recent. Uh, well, both of these are relatively recent, uh, and for some fucking reason that I can't like, I've seen I've seen half his work. I don't know why Damien Chazelle is such a polarizing figure. I mean, I think we described him in the
1: chat once in the in the in the house lights chat as like the embodiment of like Sundance. He uh, he's a perfectly fine craftsman, you know. Like if like yeah, I think he's a better craftsman than he is a filmmaker. I think he really likes jazz music. Well, okay. That keeps no, no, Okay, up. wait, we, we don't have time to get into that. When we, when we talk about Whiplash, we will talk about the fucking jazz music in Whiplash. All right. And I, I, I'll have to watch, what is it, Sing Street? What is the thing we're watching? Uh, La La Land. La La Land. Sorry, Sing Street, you're a good movie. Um, but when I watch fucking La La Land, I'll have to sit through more tepid, shitty jazz.
0: I was gonna say, uh, uh I don't know if you, uh, you, uh, did you see Whiplash when it came out a couple years? Ago? Yes. Okay, did you like it? i thought it was fine sure i thought it was good i thought it was okay
1: i I think i'd give it like four stars so i guess that's that's like it gets a good rating
0: me too it's like a soft four you know and uh revisiting it the movie was kind of lesser and more than i originally thought it was because i don't know how it works as like this uh as this exploration of like, toxic student-teacher relationships, or even as being representative of, of uh, like, as a cinematic representation of jazz music, because I am a jazz dunce. But I do like the core idea of this film as being, what if we made a thriller where J.K. Simmons is the devil? and we yeah, stuck him yeah. in a jazz school because if that is the if that is my line of thought going into whiplash this movie still kicks fucking ass but the second i give it any more thought than that it falls apart when you
1: try to like consider how the themes are working and what they're saying it is really weird there's a bunch of like throwaway plot lines that just kind of happen and then go away the entire like there's, romantic subplot yeah, is it should why be is trash there? there's no reason for that to there's be there, no reason
0: for that to be there
1: I mean, I understand the point of it is to say, oh, he's like so desperate for this, this success and this specific kind of learning but that that's he's doing to everything there. else.
0: Yes. That's why Paul Reiser is there. That's why his bloody knuckles are there.
1: And Paul Reiser is much better than the romantic subplot. Paul Reiser quite good in this.
0: Paul Reiser pretty good in this. I, I think I said that Paul Reiser was the secret MVP of this week.
1: Yeah. And I asked if you were mad about him because <laughs> that's TBS. Very funny.
0: I have seen zero episodes of Mad About You.
1: That's wild. It's not. It's pretty good. You should watch it. It's a quintessentially American thing, like juggalos and
0: musical theater. <laughs> juggalos, musical theater, and Mad About You. That's all we got. <laughs> um, but I just think, I'm just thinking of that fucking bit in uh, Oh Hello on Broadway, where uh, John Mulaney is introducing the 1990s as Mad About You, pesto sauce. O.J. Simpson breaks his 45-year non-killing streak. <laughs> you know oh. what? Time for time for a letterbox confession. Okay, I do not log every time I watch those John Mulaney specials or Oh Hello because if I did, someone would think I have a problem. <laughs> they think you were like me with Sunspring. Uh, how often do you watch Sunspring? Um, I think I've I have, I've have about
1: forty views in it this year. Not this year. No, just like overall total. I'm 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 close to breaking fifty.
0: Ask me how many times I've watched those specials plus Oh Hello this year. How many combined have you watched this year? Like 13? Nice. <laughs> nice. They're
1: good. John Mulaney's a very funny man. I, I
0: like I like those specials. I think John Mulaney's a very funny man. Nick Kroll is no slouch either. Yeah, that's quite
1: true. Um, but I want to so, I want to be really mad about jazz music for a second.
0: All right, Isabel, go 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 off on jazz.
1: So, uh, no, no, I'm going to go off on Damien Chazelle's idea of jazz. Um, okay, go is... off
0: on Damien Chazelle's idea of jazz.
1: <laughs> Um, outlined a lot better. um There's actually a YouTuber I like quite a bit. His name is Adam Neely. He's literally a professional oh, yeah. jazz bassist. I, um, I like
0: his uh, vaporwave video.
1: Yeah, he has a lot of like really interesting and like very approachable videos on music theory. And he did a whole video of like, "Hey, here's what I thought about Whiplash." He saw it like a couple years late, and he goes more into depth in this than I ever will. But just as like a short way of things that bothered me personally. um As a, Well put
0: the uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. I've always wanted to say this on a podcast we'll put a link to that in the show notes.
1: Yes, we will. Um but as someone who I love jazz, um especially like the free uh free jazz styles, especially like the 60s and like 50s style jazzes. Um John Coltrane is like my hero. I played I played jazz quite a bit in school. I still play it on my own for fun.
0: Um Isabel is our uh,
1: resident jazz mode. No fucking like a person in 20 like 15 or 2013 or whatever thinks buddy rich is the best drummer ever i'm sorry it's like thinking that like it's like being a professional music student and still thinking that the beatles are the greatest rock band of all time you know what i mean it's one of those like think buddy rich was famous because he had very flashy technique and because he was a very volatile band leader he was not just
0: anyone who disagrees can at isabel at space jam fan on twitter you can
1: at adam neely because he said the exact same thing (laughs) um but it's it's this very canned form of high school jazz, and it's hard to describe if you haven't been in a high school jazz environment, but it's the idea of playing – it's like playing the pages but not playing the music. Your goal is to play exactly what's on the pages, and your goal is to play it better than anyone else because it's a competitive environment, but it's competitive in the form of, of technique, not musicianship. It's not actually there to express anything. It's very mechanical. Even, like, modern big band music, which is kind of what this is playing off of, modern big band music is a lot more weird and a lot more um, syncretic and a lot more bringing in, like, elements from hip-hop, bringing elements from electronic dance music into its form than the, like, stayed, boring, like, literally, like, half-a-century-old standards they play throughout this film. And I think so the, re- you, the entire reason is because Damien Chazelle, the only time he played jazz was when he was in high school.
0: You said all of that, and now... I am so fucking excited for you to watch Lala. La
1: God, I I cannot. I, I can't wait to do this wait. a second time and be even more angry. So uh, I vaguely I so, remember the reason that it's important. I think I should say is because it's not just me nitpicking about the fact that Damien Chazelle doesn't understand jazz. The important thing is that it it. There's so many more interesting ways you can do this kind of material. And there's so many more interesting ways of presenting this kind of thing. And you could even present um J.K. Simmons' character's adherence to these old standards as a character element, instead of it just being the backdrop of everything else. But instead, we get this portrait of musicianship and portrait of contemporary artistic growth and artistic development that is so archetypal and so removed from reality that I can't take any of it seriously
0: which is why i think this works better as like a hothouse thriller than else
1: yes and i think that jk simmons is still excellent in it i think miles teller is much better than i gave him credit for the first time i saw it i think he's actually very good
0: he's he's drumming he's really drumming there so he is he's
1: doing a perfectly mediocre job (laughs) um um but but the scenes where simmons really digs into the material and really goes for it are still as viscerally satisfying as they were the first time. It's fun to watch J.K. Simmons be an asshole.
0: Yeah, he shouts real good. I'll say that. Yeah. um
1: I've spoken a lot. I'm gonna let you talk about it for. We have four minutes left.
0: Well, I I kind of started this off with a with a little two and a half minute street on it being like a, a thriller starring J.K. Simmons as the devil. um Like I can't attest to it as like a document of like studying music or performing music. um So I can really only go on filmic terms. And I still think this movie looks really good. Um, I think it's. Um, it I think the, the Academ- editing is still very good as well. That yeah, it, it won the Academy Award for Best Editing. I think that's an award it deserved. It looks, it has, it has great energy to it. It looks really good. Um, there's, it's. Ah, God, I'm not going. I'm not going to invoke the holy name of Brian De Palma while describing this movie. I feel there's a more weird, sadistic, hothouse version of this that's like more De Palma-esque. But if you stripped away a lot of that sort of Hitchcockian excess, this is what you would be left with, which is not a bad movie. This is different?
1: See, when you brought up De Palma, I thought you were going to bring up um, that other, the Elijah Wood piano mu- movie.
0: Uh, fu- Grand Piano. Grand which, Piano, which, which is
1: ca- a great movie. I
0: didn't see that. Uh, I know our, uh, your friend and mine, one Barkeen, wrote about it for uh, Dim the House Lights, and I forget if he liked it or not. I think he did. But uh, I think the point of, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that movie was goofy.
1: It was very goofy. It didn't take did- itself too seriously. There were some... There was a really great split diopter shot. There's also really great uh, – I think there's like a crash zoom-in part of it. It's just really fun. It's all it's all technique. But in a really – it's all technique, much like the drumming in uh, Whiplash, but it's actually fun. It doesn't um, take itself as deadly seriously as Whiplash seems to.
0: I think J.K. Simmons does his damnedest to make sure that the seriousness can only be taken so far. Um, it's a movie that looks really good. It, it does have kind of like a, a kind of Sundance polish to it. Um but I'd be lying if I said I didn't like it. I really liked the solo at the end.
1: I really uh, Yes, liked, I
0: agree. Uh, I liked I liked the way the movie resolves. I liked the way that... that Like, a, a bit too late in the movie, but eventually the movie lands on... Yes, this is an unhealthy symbiosis between two dickheads. I'm going to agree with
1: all of that. And the last little jab I'm going to get in here before we have to move <laughs> on to Prisoners... Is that if you know how to actually play instruments and you watch... The actors attempt to, like, quote-unquote play their instruments. Not Miles Teller. He can actually play drums. But, like, the background extras, if you watch, like, just how their hands look, it's clear they've never held a fucking instrument before. And they don't know what they're supposed to do with it. It's delightful. Um, But, you know what's not delightful? Is Paul Dano getting the shit kicked out of him for, like, two hours.
0: Why do we, as a culture, demand to see Paul Dano get the dog shit kicked
1: out of him? He's got one of those faces. I like Paul Dano quite a bit, but you gotta admit he's got one of those faces. He
0: he, Paul Dano at least at least like back like you know in, in his younger, slightly chubbier days, Paul Dano looks like someone who's just always a little allergic to something, <laughs> just a little teeny tiny. Bit. I, really be- liked,
1: I really like that.
0: <laughs> is there like a beehive around here? Someone eating a banana or something? I feel weird.
1: Um, that's what Prisoners is about. It's about a boy who <laughs> he just reaches into a beehive. He's like he's Winnie the Pooh.
0: Uh, if only. Uh, okay, so okay, so let's let's. Uh, let's
1: Prisoners re- is, in all seriousness, a pulp movie that doesn't realize it's a pulp movie, or is trying very, very hard to not be a pulp movie.
0: I realize that I didn't do the tale of the tape for Whiplash, but it's okay because we landed on pretty much everything other than the fact that it was a pretty decent uh, box office hit. It was. Yes. Let me so let me do the tale of the tape for Prisoners. It's yes, two 200- hundred. 211 seed in uh, this little tournament we have released in 2013, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve and starring Hugh Jackman, Jake How, Gyllenhaal.
1: Can you pronounce it one more time for me? Denis Villeneuve. Copy. Uh, ever since I did the podcast with Ross, he pronounced it Denis Villeneuve.
0: Yeah, Villeneuve is he's – not, he's, he's not like from Puerto Rico. He's from Quebec.
1: But ever since then, that's the only way I can like see the last name. So whenever I see it – Instead of, like, Villeneuve or however Villa, Like, okay,
0: look little, little quick French lesson. Oh my god, this is okay. going
1: to go just as good as the time you try to teach me how to say your fucking last name, but go okay. ahead. Uh,
0: it also stars Viola Davis, and it was a pretty decent hit. 122 million profit on $40 million budget. Uh, okay, Denis Villeneuve is how we pronounce it here. Villeneuve? Villeneuve? N- um, shit, because uh, they're not the same phonemes. These phonemes don't exist in English. They
1: sound the same, though. Like, oh my god- like me saying s- these words sound. I I realize they're different. <laughs> like I realize, you but you I'm also split- an ignorant American, and to me, they sound like the exact. I in my head it sounds like I'm saying what you're saying.
0: Here's the example of how English people usually say his last name in English: Denis Villeneuve. I'm not going to do that. Sounds
1: jackassy, Villeneuve. That's Villeneuve. I guess I'll just do that
0: because that's how they. Uh, okay, uh, time for another tangent. Okay, uh, I was really, I was really, when I was like uh, nine and ten years old, I was really into uh, Formula One car racing. Okay, and uh, this was around the time where there was uh, a Canadian race car driver named Jacques Villeneuve, uh, who was part of like a racing dynasty in Quebec. His father Gilles Villeneuve uh, was an F1 racer in his day, and the track here in Montreal, the F1 track, is named after him. And uh the British commentators who were calling all the races that I watch would always call him Jacques Villeneuve. So I think Villeneuve is the the English way to say his name.
1: Okay, but here's the thing. I can tell that the thing that you're saying, like, is different from Villeneuve. Yes. But you want when, to say I, it again? when I said the same when I tried to say the thing that you're saying, it sounded in my head like the thing you said. Okay. This is like pointless, by the way. <laughs> we need to like stop doing this <laughs> because <laughs> Unless you decide to teach me French, I don't think this is actually going to be important for anybody besides us.
0: I'm going to break it down into two syllables that you can repeat. Okay. Ville. 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 Ville.
1: I'm neuf. saying the same- No, we can't do this, Derek. I'm saying the same <laughs> thing you're saying. I know I am. Or at least in my head. It, like Okay. Ville. Neuve. Neuve. Yeah. Ville neuve. Ville neuve. There you go. I'm going to forget it
0: immediately just so we There's know. There's a lot of stink on that, but that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Okay. Um, There's a lot of ho- ho- ho stink on that, but that that's about it. <laughs> <sighs> Let's All right. Talk so, about this dumb then. movie. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I guess this- you,
1: you didn't say like what it would like the you didn't do the tail tape for this one yet. Uh, I yeah. sidetracked you by talking about his last name. I apologize. I, ad-
0: I, I actually finished it. Uh, pre- uh, 2013. Denis Villeneuve uh, in the director's chair, starring Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Viola Davis. 122 million dollar. Oh yes, yes. Gross. Uh, uh, 122 million. And Terrence one- Howard. And Terrence Howard, he's in there too. He's a little bit further down on the cast list. And uh, Paul Dano, as we just mentioned, $122 million uh, box office gross on $40 million budget. Is Howard this... really lower than Viola Davis? Like, he does way more than the plot.
1: Yeah, but he's he's further down. He's one okay. below. Fair enough. Um, this I don't this know is if... your first time seeing this movie, correct?
0: Yeah, um, I've, I'm have i a bit ill-versed in uh, Denis Villeneuve's movies. I don't see the ones that... Uh, well, actually, that's not true. I saw uh, Tendre Oussertail, which is one of his Quebec movies. I saw... Uh, uh i saw this for the first time i saw enemy which i wasn't wild about but i know you like
1: i like enemy quite a bit yeah and i've liked it more the more time i've had to think about it it's kind of a reverse pair situation
0: and uh arrival and uh the, the the dreaded uh blade runner 2049
1: maybe the worst movie we're going to talk about but we'll get to that is it on this list it is i'm holy like shit. Dreading that i'm gonna have to revisit that fucking terrible film at least okay. i i have lots of things to say about it but we're not it's talking against about that right now. We're talking about prisoners.
0: It's against Les Intouchables, which is a French movie that was recently remade with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston. Oh, uh, was that the The Intouchables? Yeah, yeah. That's like going to be a hell of a matchup to talk about. Two bad movies together,
1: alas. <laughs> but uh, we need to talk about the mediocre movie, don't we?
0: Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about this movie because this is a this is a kidnapping movie. This is a revenge movie where uh, Hugh Jackman commits to some huge acting. He gets to yell and shout. <laughs> Sure does. And, uh, he plays this, like, this, like, we- like weird crypto-conservative, like... Sur- survivalist. Survivalist. Who also happens to live in, like, a nice suburb.
1: And sure. is friends with his neighbors, which no survivalist I've ever met is friends with their fucking neighbors. But... <laughs> and,
0: uh... Yeah, his his, his also, kid. Also, not to be like too
1: political, but no survivalist I've ever met actually likes black people. Sorry. Oh,
0: oh well, I don't know about that. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're Sorry, just-
1: all the survivalists listening to this film podcast. I think most of you are pretty racist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. So his kid and uh, Viola Davis's and Terrence Howard's kid get kidnapped and. The police are proven to be limp-dicked and ineffective. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays like the detective on the case. He's he, blinks having a a lot. Go. he blinks a lot. He blinks a lot. He has kind of a... There's kind of a Zodiac vibe coming off of this. Like he's recycling his best moves.
1: Yeah, that really... Man, saying that casts it in a very bad light, <laughs> I'd say. Where I think this movie... The first time I saw it, I gave it four and a half stars. I was like, this movie's great. And I realized the more I thought about it, oh, this movie... It, has all the appearances of being great but when you actually think about it at all it is it is a super dumb movie that doesn't seem to realize how dumb it is and it's also a movie that has no handle on its its themes if whiplash had some issues with how it portrayed that relationship this movie tries to tackle a bunch of shit and it doesn't seem to know what it's trying to say about any of it it doesn't seem to know where to go with any of it there's some snakes that come out of suitcases. There's It's set up as this very, like, um, what do you call it? Like a very like, prestige thriller.
0: Like a very serious adult drama about adult things. And then, when, like,
1: when, 20, 25 minutes into the movie, there's a torture dungeon in a, in a pedophile priest's basement where there's a dead body.
0: It is abundantly clear that this movie wants to be, like, a scummy potboiler. And the thing is, Denis Nev and Hugh Jackman and Jake Hall. I mean, they all class it up real good.
1: So does uh, Roger Deakins, who does the... So does Roger Deakins.
0: So does uh, the late great Johan Johansson, who thinks the score. Um, Deakins won Academy Award for this, I want to say. No, he was nominated, but he won for Blade Runner 2049. Oh, gross. <laughs> that was that was the one that got him for him. He, that was on his 14th I mean, nomination. Deke finally got his. That is the best part of that movie, but we'll, we'll get to that at a
1: different point. Um, and Hugh Jackman, he... He kidnaps who we think is the, or who is portrayed to be the person who kidnapped his children, um, who is played by Paul Dano. And he boards him up in like an abandoned
0: house that he just happens to
1: own, or an abandoned apartment complex. And not just just
0: that, you want to talk about unsubtlety and themes? It's the house that he used to live in with his father. Oh, God, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And he just beats the shit out of him for the
1: entire movie. And it just gets worse and worse, and you see his face getting worse and worse
0: and yeah you ever seen you ever seen a boxer's face after a particularly bad fight <laughs> well multiply that by like 15 and you've got paul dano's face in this movie it's good it's good makeup work great makeup work. but one thing and it's I, very disconcerting to see it is uh one thing
1: we i don't want to go through the whole plot because there's a bunch of twists and turns and none of them like mean anything let's be honest sure. especially like there's a part later on where the person who turns out actually kidnapped the girls who is related to paul dano but he didn't actually like do anything do anything except he did kidnap them like let's be clear he did like literally kidnap them oh yeah yeah, but he didn't like do the bad stuff to them and this other character who did like literally like keep them and um has apparently kept other children and killed other children says out of nowhere out of literally fucking nowhere that her and her husband's like her, their child died, and then because of that, they're waging a war against God and abducting other people's children to like a war against God. That should be your like capital T theme, and that comes like there's like ten minutes left in the movie, and that's never mentioned before besides the priest for like a second. Like and they don't
0: commit to this. Like the, the movie opens with like the Lord's Prayer. Yes, you see like the crucifixes or the crosses rather tattooed on like uh, Hugh Jackman's knucks. And there's like, there's like, it it, it like makes faints towards that, but it doesn't really, the movie doesn't really commit to anything beyond just kind of the empty symbolism. But it all looks super nice and striking, right? I just but, realized that you could
1: get Jesus Christ on your knuckles because it's exactly 10 letters long.
0: Uh, yeah, but then you got two of the letters on your thumb and that's weird. So it's just <laughs> going to look like you have Jesus. Uh, well, actually, Jesus Christ is 11 letters long.
1: No, J-E-S-U-S is five. And C H R I S. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> Deleting that out of the podcast forever.
0: Steph, um, my girlfriend. Steph says that my weird party trick is figuring out what two word sentences go on knuckle because apparently I have a knack for figuring out what's eight letters long because I don't
1: count the thumbs. If you ever get into prison, it'll be very useful. Um, but when we talk about the themes of this movie, there's so many things that are just dropped in and then abandoned later. The, the movie, what the fuck
0: are the snakes doing there?
1: Yes, okay. There, there's a part where. The person who we think might have actually kidnapped the children, like a later person. He doesn't uh-huh. actually have anything to do with it either, by the way. Because He's of just course a creepozoid. He's just a creepo. But he has, like, suitcases filled with children's clothing and snakes. Why? And neither is explained. <laughs> neither, well, he, it says, like, he, like, he like copycats the things he hears on the news, and he copycats these child abductions because he was abducted as a child, but... That ex- kind of explains the children's clothing. It doesn't explain the snakes. The fucking snakes. And then my, one of my favorite moments in the movie, unintentionally, is the snakes are just like all over Jake Gyllenhaal's feet and he goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's-
0: Which, to be fair, good reaction. That's about what I would say. Yeah.
1: It's just, it's not what I was expecting out of the film. And it, It's a film uh- that wants to leave it, lean into those weird parts. Like, that's a very weird aspect. That's a very, like, pulpy aspect. But instead it just shunts those off to the side instead of eliminating them like it should if it really wants to be this serious like movie about what is what are the ethical limits on torturing someone whether is it ethical to torture someone torture someone if you think you can get information what is the responsibility of a detective what's the responsibility of a parent in the situation instead those are still in the movie kind of except they're never really explored as fully as it should be and they're also contradictory in a lot of pots a lot of spots and Instead, we just have snakes. Instead, we just have, oh, we're waging a war against God. Instead, we have a murder basement.
0: Do those snakes show up again? No. Do they show up in some kind of murder pit that we find out is a thing that exists not just in the priest's basement, but in a redacted, in the redacted, at the end of the movie? No. They just kind of appear. Yeah. And they don't, this is a gross and, weird and the, thriller. The guy with the snakes just kills himself, like
1: literally, like ten minutes after he's introduced.
0: Yeah, this movie's a gross, weird thriller that has like I don't even know how to explain it. Um, delusions of grandeur. uh I th- delusions like like it feels like it's saying something important when it's just saying <gasps> dumb shit about is it good to torture someone? Maybe if you are angry enough. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of um.
1: I'm trying to make sure I get this name right. Give me a second. I gotta mm-hmm. Google something. Also, this is give me a reference no one even cares about, so it's not even. It's, this is not going to be a worthwhile Google, but I already started in, doing it. So in the movie, come and see. God no. Oh, we haven't talked about that yet, have we? God damn. Nope. Um, members of the band White House. Lifehouse. White House. The the power electronics band that are really racist.
0: Oh, I thought you meant Lifehouse, the band that's saying uh, "Hanging on a Moment" or whatever. No, a little a little different. Mm.
1: Um okay i found it so it reminds me a lot of there's a book or there's a couple books by this guy named peter sotos who is i hesitate to say artist um he's a creep okay um like he he's actually the first person who was um in america who was prosecuted on the mere possession of child pornography but not the like distribution of it and
0: he so he had it but he just didn't intend to give it to anyone else
1: yeah and he didn't make it he just like had it Mm. and he the reason he said he had it is because he's one of those guys that like in the 80s he was um he made a very famous like zine where he was like look at this weird fucked up shit basically and Uh, so the the internet of its day basically he was basically like the rotten.com of the 80s
0: Oh Jesus, right. And he was com. like, That's why
1: I have this thing, is because I oh. like I was gonna I made copies of it and put it into like this zine I do. Not that that's like a justification
0: at all. But Isabel were friends, why do you bring up why do you invoke <laughs> rotten.com on a thing that we're doing together? Um, I feel like I've invoked that before, but he <laughs> has a
1: he in his work, the one I think in general a lot of his stuff is terrible and like generally morally reprehensible. But he does have one really interesting book where he discusses, um, how things like Supernanny or things like To Catch a Predator and things involving children in such ways are actually just legal forms of child pornography and that they are giving the audience the moral satisfaction of being superior to it while also basically explicitly saying what will happen to these children. Uh, and like, they, they like explicitly, obviously in to, in to Catch a Predator, it's sexual, whereas in Supernanny, it's like control over children, things like that. But that's yeah, his basic thesis. Yes. And to me, prisoners more often than not kind of feels like that, which is a very damning way to put it. But I don't think it's like the intention. I think it's just it's trying to present luridness in a way that you don't have to feel bad for your desire to experience lurid things. And those lurid things that's happened to be the abuse of children.
0: Uh, That is a very Isabel poll.
1: <laughs> you mean not and... everyone knows like random excerpts from Peter Sotos's books?
0: Well, I certainly don't. Um, I can't test for everyone else out there in podcasting, but uh, I think we've blown way past our ten minutes. Yeah,
1: we have. I I skipped past a little bit because I was having to Google for so long. But yeah, we should probably decide which one of these films is actually going to.
0: So, which one of these two movies that aren't that are? Well, actually, no. One of these is not that great. One of them is kind of okay. Um, which one of these goes on, is Isabel? I don't know. Does the bad jazz go through? I don't, I really don't know. This is like the hardest choice I've had to make so far in that
1: I think Whiplash is the slightly better film technically. I think Prisoners is more interesting. I think there's more to talk about with it. And I also think that, I mean, I like lurid things. I think that I, I enjoy the fact that it is trying to do some super weird shit and some super like gross shit. And I respond to that kind of the same way I responded to Seven. Seven doing the same, like, here's some... Except 7 was explicit, like, hey, you want to see some gross shit? Here's some gross shit. Whereas this prisoner's just kind of saying, you want to see some gross shit, but you shouldn't feel bad about that. We're not going to actually show you anything, and we're going to make you feel like a good person and a morally superior person.
0: Can you imagine if this movie had, like, the nards to actually show Hugh Jackman driving a fucking hammerhead into Paul Dano's skull? God.
1: Ugh. It, I think yeah. it'd, it'd be better.
0: I mean, Probably. I mean, I th- like I okay. So you're going like the sort of noble failure route. Is the the noble failure is more interesting? Yeah, and I mean, I like. I think that
1: Denis V has <laughs> is an interesting director, and he's, oh yeah, 100%. he's he's going to make a great film someday. I think he's made a bunch of good films up until now. He's got a great film in him somewhere, and I I'm I like watching his movies more than I like watching Whiplash.
0: I, w- I would qualify Arrival as a great film.
1: Should, do, do we have, can, we've gone on so many tangents? Do you mind if I go on one more?
0: oh uh, yeah, your your arrival tangent, just do you a, like your yeah, arrival take. Yes,
1: yeah. just a quick arrival tangent. I think that arrival should be edited in such a way that you can. It, it is its linearity is the same way that the aliens view linearity, in which it isn't. You literally the way I would edit edit arrival, and this would never get released in a major studio uh, form. But, I don't think
0: the technology is there for what you want.
1: No, it absolutely is. What uh, I mean you can actually kind of do it. Uh, they were trying to do it with um, the restoration of um, the tree, of life, the tree right? of life. Yes. But you take all the individual scenes and you just randomize them and like completely random so that you don't know which one's going to come and which there's no cause and effect that you can visibly see until you have the whole picture. There's no builds and falls because you're supposed to view all of it as one piece. I think that that would be thematically brilliant and like editing wise, I would love it. I understand why they didn't do that. I think that's, that would be an incredibly unapproachable film and a film that most people would hate. And it's kind of only have me as the audience. But I think Arrival is a good film that could have been great with a couple smarter editing choices
0: like that. I think I'm going to give it to Whiplash because I think – because in my head, both of these movies are hothouse thrillers. Uh-huh. And I think Whiplash, while not as adventurous, I think is a better, more distilled example of what a hothouse thriller can be in a non-lurid and I think that's why I'm going.
1: So the question becomes: Do we? Does anyone? Does anyone is it, who's going to break?
0: Uh, does anyone want to spend a veto on this? No. It seems like a really. it seems like a flimsy one to blow a veto on.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I I do land on the side of prisoners.
0: Hmm. Whichever movie we pick is going to lose to Tokyo story and the-
1: absolutely. But one hundred percent. The, the nice. The thing that I like more about prisoners in ter- in the next round, just in general, is that there's more to talk about. We didn't even get to exactly this movie has a whole thing with paul dano like where there's some real problems with the lack of ambiguity there's some real problems with the way his oh, character's right. presented. we didn't
0: talk about like the one thing
1: yeah and we also didn't talk about the fact that like what this movie is actually saying about torture which is complicated and i think deeply wrong but still interesting counterpoint you want to watch prisoners again yeah it's my second time watching it i didn't mind it it's it's it's, it's, it's a kind of movie like i will put on in the background and like play sudoku while i kind of like just look at the do, images.
0: Do you live in a fucking dungeon? <laughs> <sighs> oh. Was it really like that grimy and like unpleasant to you? It, I mean, I was watching it at night and I was tired. So it, it kind of had an effect. Uh, I, th- I think you're right that there's more meat on this particular bone, but I still think Whiplash is the better movie. But I don't care about Whiplash enough to waste a veto on it. So I can see. Okay, thank you. Prisoners goes on.
1: Maybe next time watch it, like literally this last time I watched it during the middle of the day. And like with my windows open and like sunlight flooding in.
0: Uh, That's probably, but then that movie looks 10 times goofier.
1: Yeah, it's a way better way to watch it.
0: All right. All right, let's do that.
1: Okay. So Prisoners begrudgingly moves moves on.
0: on. Yeah, begrudgingly is correct. This is, we've had so many tangents, this episode is so goddamn long. This episode is going to be 94
1: minutes long. (laughs) Um. So, Derek... Uh, if people want to get mad at us, where are they going to find us on the internet?
0: Okay, here we go. Um, So, uh, you can find... Let's see if I remember the order in which... You, you can find me on Twitter, at Derek underscore G. Uh, they can find you on Twitter, at Space Jam Fan. They can find the pod on Twitter, at Pod. Or, if they want to directly shout out us through electronic mail, they can do so by sending us... An electronic mail message. Why am I? Why am I sounding like <laughs> a fucking robot? Send us a fucking drop us a line at Melbrow at gmail.com. One of us will answer. Uh, did we get any uh, any cool recipes? Um, let me check. I haven't checked the thing in a second. I don't think so. <laughs> I think that
1: was too dumb even for our audience. No offense to our audience. I mean, I like food. I like cooking. I do. I just had um, I breaded and baked some eggplant for the first time.
0: It was delicious. Eggplant is very underrated and very adult. It is. I, fe- I felt it's, like a real grown-up when I was making it. It's a good, complex taste. I make like an eggplant pasta sometimes. It's really fucking good.
1: But no, there are no uh, ingredients. Not ingredients. Ah. There's no recipes currently in the thing. Ah,
0: God damn it! You can still send us yeah. recipes. Or if yeah. you're a big Peter
1: Sotos fan and want to discuss him <laughs> with us, I'm probably just going to delete it because I think you're a sex creep. But I'll read it first. <laughs> I'll laugh at you, then delete it. Yes.
0: Okay, so I'm just gonna run by what we're going to do next time. Yes, good. The good next idea. the the two uh, two matchups for the next episode are going to be uh, A Separation from 2011 versus The Elephant Man from 1980, and Seven Samurai from 1954 against Gangs of Wasipur D12. I think that's everything.
1: Yeah, I was gonna derail the podcast, but I'm not going to. It's already long enough.
0: Oh, man. uh, how the fuck do we end this? I've been Isabel Arf. And I've been Derek Goddard. Have movies. Be jolly. Good night, everybody. Good
1: night. Um, I've been Michelle Arf.
0: No, you haven't.
1: Oh, fuck. <laughs>